Welcome to NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast, featuring tech legend Jake Gunkelman. He's the man who has read well over half a million brain scans, and Dr. Marie Swingle, author of iMinds. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. And, and Mary Ann is Mary Tracy's sister. Is that correct? I'm her little sister, yes. Little sister, okay. So <laughs> you're Marianne and Mary, right? Mary, well, she's technically Mary Lynn. Oh. <laughs> and I'm one of these her. days, Pete, you're, you're actually going to pronounce my name correctly. It's actually Mari. So Mari. maybe Mary and Marianne can pronounce Mari <laughs> Now, Now, Marianne, do you, do you know Jake Uncleman or have you heard of Jake Uncleman through your sister? I have certainly heard okay. of Who has not heard of Jake Uncleman? No, that's okay. All right. All right. So, so some background is you're, you're a writer um, and uh, right, you, you had a, uh, a TIA. Is that what happened? No, 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 no. I, I, uh... I, I wasn't writing about myself until I had this. I mean, afterwards, right? But I, you, you experienced a TIA, and then you, you know, you, you're writing about the experience. Uh, that article, it's like, hey, this is what happened to me. Um, and what, the big thing that I caught about it is, you know, you don't want to bother anybody, you know, the medical professionals, you know, you want them to work on somebody more important. Well, at that time, there's nobody more important than you. But one of the things I appreciated about your uh, article, Marianne, is, you know, how you describe that the person, the only person who isn't aware of what's going on is the person that this is occurring to. Um, Yeah, and that that must just be indirectly a a terrifying yet neutral um, experience. I, I don't, do you have any suggestions in terms of how any individuals can protect themselves from worse damage. I mean, I, I assume when Jay joins us, we're going to be chatting about how, how to help individuals uh, post the occurrence. Um, but but any wisdom that, that comes to you having been through that, if you hadn't been in the environment uh, where you just happen to be inches away from, from help? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you, you, you see that in the story because that was my intent is to help people understand mm-hmm. that the person who when you're having a stroke the only person who doesn't realize it is yourself yeah so backing up just a little bit what happened was is I'm I'm a reporter I work for the Santa Fe New Mexican I'm a health reporter and I was working on a story on traumatic brain injuries and I was that morning have a whole discussion about irony (laughs) or negative serendipity (laughs) my reporting skills to a whole new level here but yeah, that morning I was actually doing Albuquerque uh, to in, in New Mexico to interview a boxer who had been punched around significantly in his career and who had received several traumatic brain injuries. And that is the morning that I had my stroke. Yeah. And I passed it off as being told my brain made excuses and said, Oh, this is a weird migraine. Mm-hmm. I don't have a history of migraines. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple of the migraine auras. 
I don't have a history of migraines. So I was just kind of finding, inventing reasons. See, I was busy. I had stuff to do, right? Mm-hmm. I was at home when it first started. My vision went completely, it didn't go black. It went, um, it was the oddest thing. It was like, suddenly I just couldn't see. I couldn't see anything. I could only see peripheral. And it about, I thought about 20 minutes had passed when in reality, it was more like an hour and 15 minutes. Wow. I like it cleared up. I thought 20 minutes had passed. I had no sense of time. Looking back, I can see how confused I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got in my truck and drove to, tried to drive to Albuquerque and made it about 45 minutes. And I knew something wasn't right. So of course I called Mary, the family doctor, and we send all of our ugliest photos to rashes and whatever. <laughs> what is this? Right. And I had told Mary to call her and um, she said, you're having a stroke. Yeah. And you need to get help right now. So th- there was an urgent care center right there. Like I was at a gas station and the, the, behold, there was an urgent care center. So I went over to the urgent care center and they, I didn't even make it to the front window. I walked in and, and the lady said, are you okay? What, what, there was no one in there. I was mm-hmm. the only person in there. And I explained to her, my, doc, my sister is a doctor and she said, I need to get, checked it she said just have a seat yeah. and i did and all of a sudden all these people came out from the back and my brain said wow this is really good service i'm coming here next time <laughs> so the first thing you noticed was the vision it was like foam you said it was like foam over yeah. the, the inside but you had peripheral i had then, pre- yeah. yeah it was like someone had spray painted foam on my pupils There was double vision, there was fogginess, and it just came over me suddenly. I could actually feel my brain. I could feel it in my brain when it happened. And the the eyesight went crazy. And the second thing was they asked you your name. They asked me your name. And in my head, I thought it was the silliest question. They said, do you know your name? And I went, Marianne, Marianne, my name is Marianne. It took me, there was a delayed response. In you know, right. The sensation was like my brain was too lazy to want to remember my name. If this is the best I can describe it. And honestly, the the thing that I found in having this, this head in this traumatic brain injury, because it was my, my diagnosis was changed to stroke after um, it was not a TI. It was in fact a stroke, but um, there are, our vocabulary lacks the words to describe the sensations that go on inside your head. There, there are no, there are no words to adequately describe it. You hear of people having, uh, near-death experiences and they, they say well I'd like to describe it but I can't because there's colors we don't have those colors there's no way to do it. that's kind of like how it is trying to describe sensations when you have a stroke it's 
you know, I, I told my doctor at one point, I said, it's kind of like I have one hand on the edge of a cliff, the other hand in a light socket. Yeah. That's the sensation. Uh, it's interesting because neurons, you can cut a neuron and you, you can't, there's no sensation to the neuron. Vasculature, on the other hand, you feel stretch. If you have stretch or dilation, uh, that that stretch, either you know, puffing it out or stretching it lengthwise, that causes pain. And well, the sensation, uh, uh, pain, pain is an interpretation of sensation. Does that happen with stroke? And hilarious. Yeah, yeah and, and there are people that have the sensation of their vasculature with with uh, vascular headaches uh, as well. But uh, aneurysms, individuals with aneurysms sometimes report, well, be, you know, now that I've got diagnosed, yeah, I remember I, I have this funny sensation. Well, you know, brains don't have sensation unless it's vascular. So if, you, if you're having a sense of physical sensation inside your head, you've got to start to think about what it might be. And uh, that, that, that's a sign that you should have something looked at. Yeah, I, I've heard a description as well. I'd love your perception also, Marianne. Is, um, uh, actually, a, a close girlfriend of mine had a stroke very young in her 40s, but it was like her, her brain was melting, but there was no heat with it. It was just the sensation of her brain melting. Is that something that makes sense to you as well, or do you feel that they're all different? I, I feel that they're all different, and I didn't feel a, a melting sensation. I felt... During my recovery in the months following this stroke, I would feel numerous sensations inside my head. And I had to, you know, there were things that I couldn't do. I couldn't look at uh, blinds. The light coming in would blow my mind. I, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't watch television. I would try to have telehealth appointments. I couldn't look at a computer screen. I, I had to look away. Um, you know, the sensations were so numerous and so odd. And there were times when I just got on the floor because I felt like I was just going to topple over. But one of the things that was interesting, I'm, you know, I'm so glad that I wrote this column. So many people contacted me. I'm still getting, I mean, I, I don't even know how, I haven't even been able to get back with everyone yet. But the thing that they say to me most often is I feel validated. Mm. Is I felt like no one believed me. I couldn't describe it. I couldn't, I didn't have the words. I didn't, I couldn't speak. Um, you know, was my doctor believing me? Mm. And, and your, vi your vitals were okay. They were great. They said I had the health of a 35 year old. And so my, my BP, you know, it was, it was high initially when I arrived at the ER, but then it, it, it settled down to like 110 over 65. My cholesterol was within the normal range. It was on the higher end, but it was still well within the normal range. And they did one test after another. And the thing that was so, you know, disconcerting to me is that all of the tests came back inconclusive so you know they did a ct scan nothing they did an mri nothing they did heart bubble whatever nothing they did i i don't even know all the tests that they did 
but they just kept saying, well, we can't find anything. We can't find anything. You must have had a TIA. You'll be back to work on Monday. So I texted my boss and said, I'll be back to work on Monday. That did not happen. <laughs> it was serious. How, how old were you when you, you had the stroke? I had it on January 5th. I'm 59. Okay. 58 when I had the stroke, turned 59 in June. So um, I had the stroke January 5th. So just a little over seven months ago, six okay. months. <laughs> and and they, they believe it was an ischemic stroke as opposed to a bleed. Haven't heard ischemic stroke. It was odd. The, the day before I had this event, I had interviewed. Um, our state has only a few outpatient brain injury specialists. And I had interviewed uh, Dr. Austin Davis out of Albuquerque. He had gone before the legislature and was asking for funds to, to help with care for brain injury patients. And I had interviewed him lengthy, maybe an hour we spoke. So he knew what I sounded like prior to this event. I was supposed to take his photograph. I was supposed to follow up with him with his brain injury story. I think you missed the, you weren't here. I was working on a story about brain injuries when I had my stroke, on the day that I had my stroke, I was working on the story. So I texted him and I said, hey, I had this event and he wound up being my doctor and, and taking me on and I was so grateful to him uh but the, you know there's basically two kinds of stroke uh one is uh ischemic or thrombotic uh, a clot of some sort floats up and plugs the vessel and downstream they don't get enough blood flow so you have a stroke that's an ischemic stroke downstream from a thrombotic or a, a clot or a chunk of something. And the other one is a bleed. And uh, a bleed is, you know, uh, a blood vessel that's failed. Sometimes there's uh, a specific kind of a blood vessel that failed, an arteriovenous malformation or an aneurysm, but it can just be a, a weak blood vessel. And uh, the, the bleeds are um, uh, actually, to, to a certain extent, more problematic um if you go in and they identify that you've had a thrombotic cva um they, they they give a clot buster now they have to quick determine whether it's a clot something blocking because if you're bleeding and they give you a clot buster you're you're gonna bleed bleed uh, so they make a real quick determination with a ct scan or an mri to see whether there's blood accumulation and you know the you can see you know uh, blood is a, a a volume that that's not supposed to be there a little dark shadow um, that's not supposed to be there, but if there's a small clot, sometimes they're really hard to spot uh, unless they're calcified. Uh, CT doesn't really see the clot very well, um, but basically they're just looking for the bleed. You know, they're, they're yes. looking for permission to give you the clock buster to save your brain from the hypoxia that's going to happen from the clot. And if they dissolve it quick enough, th there's a tremendous amount of recovery. But like you say, um, until the area for word finding is recovered, word finding is, you know, you know it. Uh, you can't quite 
put your finger on it, it's just barely out of reach. And it's just very it's frustrating. Left. Yeah, it's on the left for some reason. That word is always on the left. But now I remember your question wasn't as in why I was talking about Dr. Davis. They couldn't find out what the cause of this stroke was. So it was, I did not have a brain bleed. Uh, we knew that much. But in the months that followed, he would write in his notes, punctuate small stroke, which I'm assuming meant she had a stroke. And he said he thought that it was a, a, a stroke versus a TIA. Yeah. Um, because the recovery was. Yeah. T TIA has to be less than 24 hours. Oh, it was know? 20. It was, it, yeah. I lost uh I, I not only lost word finding, I lost speech. I had, I couldn't get my words past this point in my throat. But I had trouble getting words up. I had trouble um, remembering. So memory, speech, my vision is still whack. Um, my GPS, my internal GPS is gone. I used to have a great one. It's gone. Um, but the, the the right brain kind of took over and did some other things uh, to help me out a little bit. Uh, and, and those changes have been really positive and really good. But I'm still, six months later, still struggling with, a, a, the, I think the worst symptom is fatigue. Um, you know, I, I can work for an hour, two hours, sometimes three or four hours. But when I'm done, that's it. I'm in yeah. bed of the day. I can't handle okay. anything else. Well, the good news is you're only seven months out and um, the brain is a pretty power instrument schooled in self-repair. But uh, the, the million dollar question, are you doing any neurotherapy? <laughs> I do not. Now, so Mary, uh -huh. <laughs> hold around. This is really great news. I wrote it down because I knew I'd forget. Dr. Mary Tracy. Dr. Mary Tracy, <laughs> my wonderful, beautiful sister, um, called all over New Mexico to try to find this type of therapy for me. Mm -hmm. And there are some people doing similar stuff, but not what she was looking for. She was looking for a 19 lead EEG. Yeah. She could not find. We have now found that with Sherry Johansson in Denver. Okay. So I'm going to go to Denver to have a 19 lead EEG. Yeah. There are a lot of good folks in Denver and yeah, I mean, continue hunting there locally. There are a lot of folks who are skilled in helping you. So Jay, what, do you, think, what do you think happened Jay? Because let's just say Marianne was having those symptoms and let's just say you magically had an EEG on, on the, on the scalp, what would be picked up or no, nothing? So the, the MRI or CT that they did was looking for a bleed. There may have been a small thrombosis in a small vessel, not large vessel. And they wouldn't have spotted that necessarily unless they did an MRA. And an MRA specifically looks at blood vessels, not, you know, it's, um, and we've previously found uh, MRIs that are clear, but the MRA shows, you know, a significant vascular anomaly. So, uh, they, they may have missed it by not doing the right kind of test, but they again, their purpose at that point was an emergency purpose to 
if there's a bleed, we can't save the brain with this injection. If there isn't a bleed, we can save the brain. So they used their technology to, to decide uh, whether to provide a clot buster or not. Now, a thrombosis can happen and then uh, dissolve just naturally and, and pass. A term for a soft area in the brain that's had a, a stroke-like stoppage of, of blood vessel supply, encephalomalacia. It's a softness in, in, in the, on the cortex. And there's three kinds. Uh, there's white, where the clot stopped the blood flow and it's still stopped. There's red, where the blood flow was stopped, the tissue decreased, and now it's, the, the blood flow is there again. But it's really quite red uh, because there's more blood than tissue. Uh, and then there's yellow, which is the, the loss of function was due to atherosclerotic plaque. That's kind of a yellow plaque. Um, but the, uh, the, the, the cortex can end up having a, a softening because of, of loss of cellular mass. Uh, with your ischemia, as you're recovering skill sets, uh, you, you're reestablishing network connections uh, to, to hook back in the functional areas that, you, that you've lost. Um, people sometimes lose whole areas, uh, you know, have them scooped out to save their life from a tumor. And they can learn the functions in another area. Uh, it's it's easiest if it's done very early in your life, uh, but even later in life, as you say, your right hemisphere is doing some tricks uh, to kind of uh, balance out so, some of the the loss. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, uh, uh, the the right hemisphere can be quite heroic in that in that respect. So, A stroke in the right hemisphere, on the other hand, is quite often neglected. Uh, uh, people just, you know, you're still able to talk, uh, you know, all your vitals would have been fine. You would have been talking fine, uh, but you would have lost uh, one half of all of your awareness, basically. Uh, um, my business partner went to pick up a relative to go to dinner and she was always, you know, nicely put together, nice hair, nice makeup. And she came to the door, makeup perfect on one side of her face. On the right side, the left side of her face basically was, it looked like the kids got into the makeup and, and it was just a mess. And he, you know, given his background in neurosciences as part of the business, he scooped her up and took her straight to the ER. She had stroke on the right hemisphere and really didn't notice it. Uh, uh, no, and, and the, that is, you know, we were talking earlier, that's the reason that I, I really wanted to write this this column, and it it is brave to write about your health situation and to put it out there to the public. But the thing that got me over and over as I was going through this recovery is I kept you know hearing from people that I was in a stroke support group and online, and I kept hearing from people that they weren't aware that they were having a stroke. The question was asked, "How did you know you were having a stroke?" And the answers, there were hundreds of answers and no one said, well, I figured I might be having a stroke when this happened. Nobody said that. They all said, 
I was lying in the hallway and my husband was dialing 911 or, you know, there was, it's always somebody else came to the rescue. And in my case, it was Mary. Had I not had her insisting, she had to insist that I go to urgent care or to an ER. There's no telling. I mean, I don't know where I would have wound up because I was not in my right mind and had no clue. Jay, what, what I wanted to get back to was if if it's language, I, I'm just throwing out general terms because I'm the mom and dad representative out there. Le left temple speech, right temple spatial. Would you see any dysregulation in there? Yeah, right and, and, and how would you train it? To the, temp the temporal is more comprehension of language. The lateral frontal area is uh, the ability to recall words and bring them up in memory so that you can speak them word finding and verbal fluency and is part of the frontal lobe is where Broca's area is and that's where speech motor is actually when you say it stopped here and nothing could come out Bro Broca's area is required for the movements of speech speech motor and ultimately it used to be thought of a oh, well this this is receptive and this is expressive, but that's all networked. If you can't understand, you're sure as hell can't speak, you know? So the, the, those networks have to work together. And so a stroke in the temporal lobes can sometimes make, uh, uh, because you can't comprehend, it can make word finding and verbal fluency and speech rather awkward as well. So um, the, uh, the, the hard separation of one function in one spot and another in another is kind of neophrenology. You know, the, uh, the, the brain is networked and you, you have to think in terms of, of uh, distributed function. Um, uh, otherwise, you just uh, don't really understand what you're, the organ you're looking at. So. Marianne, are you a musician? Oh, because of my speakers in the back. My, my, That's yes. a sweet stack you've got back there. And it, is that that was, a he was a musician. He was a musician, but I, I use it now. Yes. Okay. All right. Do you notice a difference playing music right now? You know, no, are I you actually, like me? You weren't that good in the first place. I, I really wasn't that good. And I, I sang in one of my husband's bands, but, and that was back in the day. But one of the things that I started doing to help recover is I, I picked up my guitar because I thought, okay, let's see if my brain remembers this stuff. My brain oddly remembered the chords, but the fatigue was so great. I couldn't get through one song. Right. So for months I worked on getting through one song, just one song. Right. And, 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 it would, I would have to lay down afterwards, but my doctor thought that it was really good training for my brain to retrain my brain. So I did, I worked with my guitar and kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. And now, now I, I can do a whole lot better, although I still experience the fatigue. Yeah. The you know, there's, there's a technique that people are using for brain recovery um, uh, ap after stroke and after trauma. Uh, where they uh, end up breathing 100% oxygen, not necessarily in a hyperbaric chamber, 
because that's like way expensive. But uh, yeah, th this is basically a, a, a big bottle of oxygen because the flow rate has to be sufficient for 100%, not like a little nasal cannula where you get some, but you, you want to have a mask where it's just pure oxygen. And uh, exercise or doing what you're uh, trying to accomplish with that ends up having the brain uh, rate of recovery enhanced about a 30% increase in the speed of recovery. There's, there's a very recent paper out on that. On, on doing, playing the guitar in the way that I, to try to control Yeah, and, and if you had a herpes and oxygen, your ability to actually get through it would be better. It wipes out the, uh, the issue of post-traumatic ischemia, uh, the, the, the areas that have had blood flow restriction, uh, they're getting some, so they're generally functioning. But if you actually task them, there's an impaired flow dynamic there. So if you task them, they're going to run out before other spots are going to run out. So you're going to fatigue. Uh, if you get 100% oxygen going, those areas are getting uh, enhanced delivery uh, that uh, and and uh, hypoxia, anoxia problems downstream in an ischemic area just don't happen then. Uh, so, you know, if you push an area that's been damaged too hard, too fast, you can actually cause the ischemia to persist. Oh, uh, I think I have experienced that. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that I experienced that. I've had some setbacks that have made, put me down for a week or more and just made me incredibly sick, nauseous, fatigued, tired, can't deal with anything, just in bed for a week. Yeah. Let me ask you though, so are you saying that if even now, if I were to use oxygen, it would help my brain performance? It, if you're going to do something specific as a, like playing the guitar, trying to get through a song, oxygen, while you're doing that specific exercise, would end up assisting your brain recovery and keeping you from fatiguing out in the process. Um, it's it, it, it works very nicely, um, but it isn't like you should walk around all day with 100% oxygen. That's not what we're saying. You know, right. that, put it on uh, during during exercise, uh, during the, the playing of the guitar, which is exercise, um, uh, 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 during um, uh, speech therapy, if you're having difficulty with speech, if you have that on while you're trying to rehab the brain uh, therapeutically, the oxygen level being at 100% tends to end up assisting in the brain's healing. That is so interesting to me. So I live at 7,000 feet. You, you had the event, whatever you want to call it, you had an event. And did you have, did you work with therapists or something to help give you feedback to get better? And then Jay, can you chime in on how neurofeedback could, to piggyback on what the, uh, is it occupational therapy, physical therapy? Like what, you're, you're doing something to get feedback to retrain your brain and then throwing neurofeedback on top of it. Marianne, what was the first thing that they did for you when you started in recovery? Well, you know, let me explain first that, you know, when I was doing this brain injury story, one of the criticisms about the care in New Mexico and in many places is that there is a lack of 
protocol for discharging patients and putting them into the necessary therapies. And instead what they do is they put them into nursing homes without yeah. therapies. And so uh, I had this brand new doctor uh, who was fresh to New Mexico from Philadelphia and he took it upon himself to call around and find a physical therapy and a speech therapist for me who would take me in a reasonable amount of time because the therapy services were about six weeks out. And um, he called around, he found the places, he got me in. So I was in physical therapy and I was in speech therapy. Those therapies helped me. And he, he kept saying, this is what's going to make you better. The therapies are what's going to do it. I'm not going to do it. They're going to do it. And he was right. The, the physical therapy addressed the um, vestibular issues because I couldn't turn my head without falling down or <laughs> feeling like I was going to fall down. I couldn't turn my head. Um, I, you know, I couldn't drive for a while. Finally, when I was able to, if I came to a, a stop sign, look out, I had to look left and right. Oh, you know, that head swim would overcome me. It was so dangerous. Thank God I live in a town where, you know, my physical therapy and speech therapy was a mile away. Um, but yeah, so those, and my, my speech therapist was nothing less than amazing. Both of my therapists were amazing. They, I underestimated so greatly the value of speech and physical therapists. I did not know until I needed them how much they help and what they do to get you, you back. You know, my, my speech therapist championed for me when I wasn't ready to go back to work, she knew it. And and she knew that I would crash and burn if I tried to do it too soon. And she went to bat for me. And yeah. um, just, I, I can't, I can't speak enough about that. I, I wish I had had, I wish I had had Mary closer to be able to do the neurofeedback. Then we would have known probably just so much more. But, you know, at the time I wasn't well enough to travel and she couldn't find anyone here to do it. So that's why I lacked that therapy. But the others were were amazing, and so they're the state is now they've, they've actually created the Senate uh, Memorial Thirty, where they're actually looking at um, feasibility studies to uh, to fund this type of care to get people into the necessary therapies, and they're recognizing that this is what's needed. They estimate there are three hundred and sixty thousand people living in New Mexico with brain injuries. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And, and the neurofeedback can provide a tremendous benefit for recovery and, and assist the physical therapist and the speech therapist uh, really dramatically. The, the area that had compromised blood flow has what's called ischemia. Uh, again, less ability to get oxygen and glucose to the area. It's got some, but not sufficient for peak performance, just enough to kind of scoot by when it's idled. So when you put it on task, it fatigues out real quickly. Uh, if you put it on more task than it can handle, it'll ask, actually cause the ischemia to persist or worsen. And that's, again, some of the setbacks. Um, if, if somebody has a severe head injury, they actually put them in a coma allowing the brain to recover for a while before they spend wasted energy on 
consciousness when the brain should be recovering and and you know just doing mental tasks and trying to focus and trying to speak and that sort of thing would put more demand on some of those areas than they could supply and again when you when you've got an impaired flow and you and the downstream area is put on a task and it can't get enough flow uh, that creates anoxia hypoxia downstream in that area and that can actually cause cell death so you can lose areas after a stroke by trying to put them on online full full bore too early and the the neurofeedback does very gentle activation and it has to be done gently across time to open up the blood vessels in the area because the brain does regulate its own blood supply but you've got to do it cautiously and and gently again over over taxing the brain will end up causing a, a worsening and, and it can actually create headaches if you overtax uh, the area oh, as well. In my case, it created worse than that. I mean, I, there were several times when I pushed it too far. You know, you start feeling good and you want to get back to your old self, right? So then you do things you shouldn't do because you're not listening. And, and you know, I, I mean, there was one point when I called my doctor, my, my poor doctor. I, I had his cell phone number and I tried not to use it. I really did. I tried not to use it. But... But I, I said, there's something wrong. I think I've had another stroke. It feels like I've had another stroke. And he said, you're having a setback because you drink too much. And this is what put me in bed for a week. And so, you know, I'm trying to be really cautious now. I'm, I'm back to work. I'm back to work at a max of 20 hours a week. And I've already been pushing that. And uh, my editors have been absolutely wonderful to me. I couldn't ask for better um, people. But you know, I have to be really cautious. I'm, I see that. And, and when, the other thing, too, is by the time you overdo it, it's too late. There's no going back. <laughs> it's no, oh, I better slow down. I'm No, no, no. Once yeah. you overdo it, you've crossed the line. And, and there, there is no, uh, the only recovery is to just stay in bed. Jay, I want to ask a question that's going to make you cringe. Um, <laughs> okay marianne's going to go in for neurofeedback training and mild stroke uh rougher stroke what kind of training what amount of training sessions do you think because everybody's different i get it but on the spectrum from you know 20 sessions to 100 how many sessions do you think it'll take uh just to give a ballpark to uh Put Marianne in a more positive. First of all, you have to set a proper expectation. There's a big difference between a TIA and the expectation of really absolutely totally full recovery. And somebody who had a a, a, a severe stroke and had like a bleed has actually lost area, uh, a lacunar infarct where the thalamus has got a nuclear body that's blown out, and it will not happen again. That will that spot is gone the cells that were part of the relay for that are gone so um, we worked with a doctor who had a lacunar infarct and had right hemispheric loss and basically couldn't see or attend to anything on the left side 
So he had an assistant. He couldn't drive. You know, you don't want people that can only see it to the right to be driving on the road because there's things happening on the left. They won't let me drive either. You know, so. Um, uh, but uh, the he 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 had bruises on that side of his body because he'd walk into things. He you didn't see him. You know, um, it, it, you can't judge it when you're totally blind on that side. And I have to say, I've clipped the corner on a hull uh, turn a few times myself with, with nothing on that side. You, you, you kind of lose the ability to judge exactly where the edge is. So um, we worked with him. Uh, he, he was His complaint wasn't, uh, can you give me vision back? His complaint was, I can't stay awake in the day and I can't sleep at night. And, you know, um, and we've worked with that kind of thing before we, we did some uh, routine training, but we also uh, tried to work on the right hemisphere, which was lost to him. And we worked in the right parietal and temporal area a bit. And uh, he actually, uh, regained what's called blind sight. It's a unique circumstance neurologically where you can't consciously see something, but you walk around it. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and when we saw him doing it, we said, uh, so why did you walk around that chair? It, you know, you, you literally walked around the chair. You said, what chair? You're fooling with me. He he literally thought we were messing <laughs> messing with him, uh, telling him he was walking around stuff because he couldn't see it. He had no conscious awareness of it at all, but he was responding to things on the left side. Now, therapy started to get a little weird at that point because he was recovering and he was being sabotaged a bit by his assistant because they thought he was going to lose a job. We, we had to sit down with him and say, listen, the doctor's going to always need to have a driver. He's always going to need to have you as an assistant. The fact that he's not bumping into things and he's, you know, this, this, this is a, a, a good thing. Uh, he's sleeping at night. He's awake during the day. And he's not bumping into things, but he's, you've always got a job. Don't worry. And so the, the sabotage uh, uh, of, of, uh, the, the training by the assistant ended up going away as soon as he realized he wasn't losing his his uh, his uh, what he thought of as a permanent job, and, and you know the, the doc was paying well. So, Jay, you and Marianne have uh, have something in common. You're you're both bikers. You still you, you're bi- biking <laughs> up until uh, the, this incident, right, Marianne? Yes, okay. biking. You could. Yeah, I was actually one of my jobs. I I um, ride across country solo and live on my bike, camp on my bike for months at a time. How many training sessions is she going to need, Jay? I'm putting you on the spot. Hypothetically, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what they're. That's what people always ask when they go in. How many? I, depends. I, I can jump in here. You know, yeah, once her 19 site scan they'll, they'll have a better idea but i also yeah. think you know what jay i just want to emphasize what jay was saying is it's, it's going to be about the balance right and if you push this too far and too strong too quickly um you, you know you, i hate to say you're going to do some damage but you're going to do it wrong you know so yeah. 
you know, and I think that's one of the, you know, the practice that, that, that I work in, where we're known for short, fast treatment, this anything to do with traumatic brain injury, you're not dealing with slow, fast treatment. Yeah. So I think we're doing kind of a disservice here, trying to get the number on yeah. if you're, if you're going to commit to getting your brain, brain back, you have to treat it with the respect and the fragility um, and, and the honor um, of, of all the duties that your brain performs. The physician learning arousal control after his stroke basically uh, took about 40 sessions to gain control over wake, drowsy. But that's that's an easy thing to learn. And it's it's not like recovering the the damaged hemisphere, which was not his expectation. Uh, In fact, he doubted the blind sight, but it was too reproducible for him to deny it actually. So um, anyway, uh, strokes going to, if it's a major uh, stroke, not just an ischemic event, it's going to take a significant amount of time. And again, if you've got areas that have been lost, you're probably not going to gain that, but you're going to gain ancillary areas surrounding it that will come back online. Yeah, it's really, that's it's really helpful for me. Um, you know, I, st- I I mentioned earlier that I still have vision problems. I have bizarre uh, vision problems. Um, things like uh, sometimes when I wake up, I can't see anything. It takes a little while for my brain to start interpreting. I don't I don't know how else to explain it. There's nothing. The good news, Marianne, though, is just even the way you're presenting in our chat today. You know, you've 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 come a long way from what you described. Um, and and I would say if you just pace it and stay very very aware of you know the sensations and the fatigue during the training, I think there's beyond beyond hope. Uh, in terms of very significant uh, recovery or reorganization of the brain to get back most of the fo- function that you want. Am I being too Pollyanna-ish here, uh, Jay? <laughs> no, no, not at all. No. 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 I, really, I, I do feel like I've come um, an extraordinary uh, good way. And my doctor feels so as well. He says, you just, you know, you've you've come so far because he says, remember, you know, Two three months ago, you couldn't you couldn't even conceive of going to work for five hours, much less twenty hours. You know, so yeah, yeah and, I, and it's gonna you know if you're turning right and left, vestibular stuff is coming back together. That's that's a major uh, uh, piece to come back. Um, solved. Yeah. yeah, and that's uh, it, it, riding a, a bike would be not possible if you couldn't look to the side uh you got to have your head on a swivel uh when you're riding bike because you're a target when you're out there on a bike this is motorcycles we're talking about by the way i just want to say bikes it's not get pedaling it's motorcycles so i know i think you still need some balance for that (laughs) yeah yes marianne uh, somebody that tripped over this podcast and stumbled in and heard about strokes and what would be your, if you could go back in time, what would you do differently based on the scenario that happened to you? Because look, you had a stroke, 
now knowing what you now know, what would you have done differently back then when you were going through it? I would have dialed 911. The minute, the minute that I lost my eyesight, I would have dialed 911. I am acutely aware now if something were to happen to my body in that way, I would take it much more seriously um, rather than trying to, you know, invent excuses for why my body is not cooperating with me and performing. I would have dialed 911 um, right away. Could you have? Yes, I could oh, have. Okay. Yes. You know, the, there's, there was a push to, to change the name from stroke to brain attack to, to emphasize the fact that you had to respond immediately. Uh, like heart attack, you know, heart attack, people know, oh, Jesus, you got to call 911 now. Yeah. You know, the, the golden hour, if you don't get the in a heart attack, you got to get it in faster than an hour for God's sake. So, um, but the, the, the change to brain attack as a description was an intention to get people to respond to 911 instead of, well, I'll see if it's like this in the morning. Exactly. Well, it, it, precisely. There is the, also the be fast, um, acronym for facial drooping and, you know, all the different, okay. That is actually for people who are not having a stroke because your brain doesn't process. It doesn't remember. It doesn't think you're, you do not have the cognition to respond to your own emergency. So if people could get it in their heads, just cement it in there, when events like this happen, this is serious stuff. This is this is as serious as a heart attack, like you said, and they need to be dialing 911. And if it's not, oh, well, you have an interesting story. But, yeah. you know, if it is, you're, you're, you're not wasting such valuable time. Yeah. So I could go back and do it again. I wouldn't have laid down. For, I, I actually called a friend and said, I may need to go to the hospital, you know, but it wasn't an emergency in my head and it should have been. And, and I have some, uh, some politics in here. I also want to talk about genderism. Um, and, we, you know, we learned this years ago about females with heart attacks and males with heart attacks. You know, females didn't have heart attacks. Only males had heart attacks. So many, many women were just not getting the attention. And I also think there's a factor here with younger females and 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 stroke you know we all expect okay in your late 70s your 80s this is the kind of the time um, but for younger females um, I don't think that they're as attentive to the possibility of this nor are those around them people think about fainting and you know a, a lot of the minimalism of, of serious female health issues um, so Jay do you have any comment on that in terms of the number of females that just don't get the attention or retrospectively uh, we figure out what it is? Uh, I can give you an example. Uh, and Ron Swatsina is, is well known in our field. And he, he uh, presents this data. It's not me telling stories out of class here. Mm -hmm. uh, his wife lost the ability to speak yeah. uh, and, and uh, kind of uh, on and off 
and he took her in immediately given his neurology background he he took her in immediately and they did an mri and the mri didn't find anything now ron did an eeg at the same time and we saw a left frontotemporal paroxysm and we suggested an mra the neurologist who ordered the mri and cleared her because her speech had come back uh, uh he they, uh, they they basically said oh it was just a temporary ischemic thing and you know that you that's fine uh, he he didn't want to do the MRI uh, the MRA because the MRI was clear. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ron is like a bulldog, and he bit on. He wasn't going to let go until this guy finally, you know, uh, uh, acceded to the request. And uh, after probably halfway chewing through the guy's leg, uh, he said, "Okay, okay, okay, we'll order it." Um, uh, a nine millimeter AVM. Uh, 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 an arteriovenous malformation at the base of the ophthalmic artery that that, that vascularly feeds the area we saw the discharge in. And uh, uh, the vascular surgeon took two stints to patch it. And if it weren't for Ron being a bulldog, she would have ended up having that AVM rupture. The, nurse, the vascular surgeon said, we normally only see these at autopsy. Yeah. You know, it's a vascular right to the base of your brain. And if it pops, yeah. unless you're kind of already prepped and ready to go, the, the likelihood is you're going to go, uh, not not recover. Uh, that, uh, that 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 that's a, a, a bleed into the base of the brain. And, and that's not a not a good outcome. Well, Marianne, so, you're you're. You're a writer for the Santa Fe New Mexican. Okay. You you want to share your story to help like just like us. We're trying to help if we can help one person, you know, the world's a better place. Do you do you think you're gonna do another piece on this? You're gonna give a piece of time or are you gonna do it when you're back on the motorcycle? Uh what what's what what do you think the future looks like? It's hazy now, I know, but what would you like it to be? I'm going to follow the brain injury story that I began uh, working on. There are other doctors that and specialists that I'd like to speak with. I'm going to follow Senate Memorial 30 and see how the uh, the feasibility studies are coming along. What's happening? There are more stories that I'm going to write uh, about the brain injury fund. Um, we have uh, what needs to be written also is a lack of, uh, you know, when people have um, a traumatic brain injury, as I did, one of the things that was so daunting was that in order to, you, know, to, you have to make appointments for medical care and you have to fill out forms, online forms, and you have to get records and you have to file for disability and you have to do all this stuff. This these tasks are difficult for someone without a brain injury. For someone who has a brain injury, there is no assistance for these people. There's, there's no assistance to say, these are the resources available to you. I did not know that I could call my insurance company and ask for assistance and ask for uh, someone to guide me through this. Pro I had no idea until a few days ago. 
that I could have done this. So these are the types of stories that I'm going to be writing. Uh, quite possibly, I mean, I don't know if my editor, you know, we do we do columns, we do less first person stuff, of course. Mm-hmm. And perhaps they would let me write a follow up column. I would certainly be willing to, based on the the uh, response that I got from from this first column. There's clearly interest in it in this subject and 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 you know one of the issues from what i'm hearing from the specialists is that primary care providers are just not trained in this there there's not enough training with primary care providers recognizing these these issues i mean do they know someone's having a stroke yes but getting in them into the appropriate treatments getting them in therapies that they are needed again uh, you know, I hear time and time again, people get shuffled into nursing homes and state facilities and, you know, because, because there's no, no system. And, and I was also astounded at the actual number of people living with brain injuries. That was something that really blew my mind when I started the story even six months ago was the estimates on and the causes of, I had no idea of all of the causes, domestic violence being one of the, the biggest causes of brain injury among women. Um, car crashes, aneurysms, surgeries, drugs, prescription entry, um, all of the different ways that you strokes, all the different ways that you can receive trauma to the head. You would think that there would be a, a better trajectory to get people just as you said you know informing people of all the different causes and, and 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 sources just raising the awareness i think that would be a beautiful service to everyone marianne can we bring you back when that article comes out i'm sorry can we bring you back on the show when that your next article comes out absolutely, absolutely. i will send it to you as soon as it hits oh absolutely uh, seriously that we'd love to add a video component to it uh because you know pe- people are lazy these days I have to I have to take everything we talked about for an hour and squeeze it into one minute. <laughs> if you're interested in reading this, the original stories, they can just Google the Santa Fe New Mexican. The link will be right here. Oh, great. Great. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, well, Marianne Todd, sister of the great Dr. Mary Tracy, thank you so much for coming on and joining Dr. Marie Swingle and Jake Alkelman. The Neuronoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. 